Turning your Bibles tonight to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5. And let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we ask you for your help as we come to this passage of Scripture tonight. There is so much here that is so critical for us to see, so critical for us to, to think about, not only as, a, as individuals, but as a body of believers here in these last days. And we just pray that you would teach us by your Spirit tonight, that we would allow you to do that, that we might see these things from your Word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we came back to our studies here in Galatians chapter 5, and we noted in verse 1 that Paul summarizes the book of Galatians really in just two words, liberty and bondage. That's what this book is about. The liberty that is in Christ or the bondage of the works of the law. And he tells these Galatians, and he tells us in verse 2, that if we choose works, then Christ shall profit you nothing. If you choose works, you decide that you're going to work your way to heaven. Then you're a debtor to do the whole law. And that is an impossibility. Because whosoever shall keep the whole law, James tells us, and offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And if that is what you are doing, then as we see in verse 4, you're claiming to be justified by the law. Paul's already dealt with that. In chapter 2, in verse 16, he said, knowing, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And if that is what you are doing, uh, if that's what you're going to do, then Paul says in verse 4, you have fallen from grace. Now, those words do not, as some teach, mean that you can lose your salvation. Paul has just said to these Galatians in verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. These people have been made free by faith in Christ. They believe the message of the gospel. It's interesting in verse 13 that Paul says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Folks, you cannot use what you don't possess. You can't use liberty if you don't have liberty. 
These people have been made free by faith in Christ. And the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 36, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And so those words in verse 4, you're fallen from grace, have to be understood in the context of verse 1. Liberty or bondage? If you have liberty because the Son has made you free, then you cannot fall from this grace of God wherein you stand. You cannot lose the grace of God that bringeth salvation. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is John chapter 10 and verse 27, where the Lord Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. But you can refuse to live in the light and the power of the grace and the freedom of, of God. And the consequences of that are there in the last part of verse 1. If you choose to live that way, it means that you're going to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now there's a real life example of what Paul is talking about here in Galatians chapter 5. And I'd like for us to look at it. I'd like for you to turn back, if you will, for just a minute to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. In Numbers chapter 14, the people of God have come to the promised land. Now, the Lord told Moses to send a man from each tribe to search out the land of Canaan. And here in, in the end of chapter 13, the 12 men have returned from doing just that. And two of the men, Joshua and Caleb, said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the other man, the ten, brought up an evil report. And their evil report was, we are not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we. Now look at chapter 14 and verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Now, notice the next words there in verse 3. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Here are the people of God. People who have been redeemed and delivered from the bondage of Egypt. 
by the blood of the Passover lamb. And notice what they want to do. They want to return to the land of bondage. Here are God's people on the verge of entering the promised land. And what is the message to them? What's the message of Galatians 5.1? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. That's what Caleb and Joshua said. Let's go up at once. Let's go up at once and possess it. We're able to overcome them. Because Christ has made us free and he's given us this land. That's their message in verse 7. Look at verse 7. The land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. That's Galatians 5 verse 1. The liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. But what do God's people want to do? Let's make us a captain. And let's return unto Egypt. Instead of standing fast in the liberty wherewith Christ had made them free, they were going to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The Passover lamb and the efficacy of his sacrifice was going to be of no effect to them. They were falling from grace, if you will. Were they still God's people? Absolutely. But they were leaving the grace of God for the bondage from which they'd been delivered. This is exactly what these Galatians were doing. They were not losing their salvation any more than these children of Israel were no longer going to be the people of God. They were leaving God's provision for them. His matchless grace that had brought them to the brink of the land of promise. And they were willing to return to the bondage from which they'd been delivered. Now we want to keep our place here. And, and look back at Gen, uh, Galatians chapter 5 because there is another parallel that we want to see in a few minutes um, between these two passages, between Galatians chapter 5 and what we just read in Numbers chapter 14. But before we do that, we want to look at what else Paul has to say here. Verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. The hope of righteousness is by faith. It's not by works. It's by the faith of Jesus Christ. That's how we're justified, by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We just read that in chapter 2 and verse 16. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and he said, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
Verse 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith. Faith. Paul's pounding the point here, which worketh by love. He says circumcision availeth nothing. Uncircumcision availeth nothing. Only faith in Christ availeth anything. Is your faith in him tonight? Romans chapter 3 and verse 30 says, Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Chapter 10 of Romans in verse 12 says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all, Jew and Gentile, is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever, whosoever, be it Jew, be it Gentile, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why Paul says here in verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, faith, which worketh by love. So this is the message that these Galatians believed. It's the message that they believed. Look at verse 7. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Ye did run well. These believers were called into the grace of Christ. We read that in chapter 1 and verse 6. In chapter 3, in verse 3, we read that they had begun in the Spirit. They received the Spirit just as we do, by the hearing of faith, not by the works of the law. These people had a tremendous start in the Christian life. This is how they began the race of the Christian life. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. This doesn't come from the Lord. He's not leading you to go back and be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now look at verse 9. Verse 9 is one of the most important verses in the Bible for the people of God. Corporately, and individually. Verse 9 says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. The Spirit of God says this twice here in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, and here in verse 9. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That's what's happened in these churches of Galatia. A little leaven has leavened the whole lump. Now, we know what leaven is. It's it's an agent. It's a substance, typically yeast, that is put into dough. And when it's put into dough, it produces fermentation, a breaking down, a decaying, if you will, of a substance. 
And when it's put into dough, the breaking down produces a, um, a, an effervescence, a bubbling from the escape of gas that causes the dough to rise. We're, we're all familiar with that. Some of you may even have a, um, a little uh, container of sourdough starter at home. Uh, and you have to, to feed it from time to time. That's the process. The first time that we find the word leaven in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 15. Where the Lord is giving his people instructions concerning the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover. This feast that pictures to us the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and the bread of God, which came down from heaven. And there is no evil, there is no corruption, there is no fault in the Lord Jesus Christ. There, he, he is without spot or blemish. And so that's why the Lord is very careful there in Exodus chapter 12 to tell them there's, there's to be no leaven in your house. You've got to get it out of your house. That feast must be kept with unleavened bread. And they were to put it out of their houses. And if they didn't, they were to be cut off from the congregation of Israel. And so leaven in the Bible is always a picture of evil. Always. And like the process that a leavening agent produces, leaven is always a symbol of active and corrupting evil. And the message that is given to us twice by the Spirit of God so that we don't miss it is that it only takes a little leaven, a little leaven, to leaven the whole lump. Now, a few minutes ago, we were comparing what took place here in, in, in the churches in Galatia with what took place in Numbers chapter 14. The, 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 with the people of God there. And there's a comparison with, with what we read here in Galatians chapter 5. What Paul is writing to these Galatian Christians with what took place in Numbers chapter 14. And that comparison includes these words in verse 9. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Didn't take much. Didn't take much in the churches there in Galatia. And it didn't take much in Numbers chapter 14. If you kept your place there, I'd like for you to turn back. But instead of going to chapter 14, we're going to get to chapter 14, but go to chapter 1, if you will. Numbers chapter 1. Numbers, as the name says, is called that because it records the numbers of the children of Israel. And it begins that way. This book begins that way. It begins with numbering the children of Israel in the very first chapter. And in this chapter, as we see in verse 20 of chapter 1, the, number, the numbering 
begins with the numbering of every male from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war. That's what we see in chapter 1 and verse 20. And then from verse 20, going through verse 43, we have the count of the males from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war by each tribe of the nation of Israel. And you can write it down and add it up. But the Lord gives us the total in verse 46. Even all that were numbered were 600,000 and 3,000 and 550. So there were 603,550 men who were 20 years old and upward who were able to go to war. Now, that's the number that we know. But that number excludes the tribe of Levi, as we see in, in um, verse 49. And it excludes women, and it excludes children under the age of 20. Dr. Henry Morris if you have a Defender Study Bible, you will see in his note on um, verse 46, he estimates that there were more than 2 million of the children of Israel. I'm not sure how he came up with that, but if, you, if each of these men had a wife and three children, then there were the 50,000 of the tribe of Levi, if you take the 12 tribes, the numbers for each tribe, and you add them up, you take the 603,550, and you divide it by 12, you get about 50,000. So if you take uh, the 603,000, you say, well, each one of those fellows had a wife, and he had three children, and then you add in the 50,000 of the tribe of Judah, then you come up with a, a number in the neighborhood of what Obviously, Dr. Morris was thinking 2,464,200 people in Israel. That would have been the whole lump, if you will. The whole lump of the nation of Israel. Now go to chapter 13. And in verses 4 through 15, we have the names of the 12 men who were sent to search out the land of Canaan. And what we find, as we mentioned a few moments ago, is that two men believed God, Caleb and Joshua. Ten men did not. Ten men went to the same place that Joshua and Caleb went, Joshua and Caleb came back and said, let's go up. We can possess it. The Lord's given it into our hands. The other ten that went to the same place, they saw the same things that Joshua and Caleb did, but they came to a different conclusion. They brought back an evil report. But I want you to notice the effect of these ten men. 
Look at chapter 14 and verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? Folks, these ten men were the leaven here that leavened the whole lump, that leavened all the children of Israel, the whole congregation. Just as a little leaven had leavened the churches of Galatia, a little leaven here leavened the whole lump. And here's what I want you to see. The Lord tells us here just how little, how little a little leaven is. It's 10 men out of 2,464,200. If you do the math, that's point zero 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 four zero six. It's four ten thousandths of one percent. It's an amount that is almost imperceptible. Ten, just ten out of nearly 2.5 million. But that little bit of leaven leavened the whole lump of the congregation of Israel here. That is exactly how a little leaven works. That's exactly how a little leaven has leavened the lumps of churches and ministries all over this nation. I want you to turn over for just a minute to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Here in this chapter, the Lord Jesus gives seven parables, seven mysteries. It, you may uh, notice in your Bible, if, you, if your Bible has headings, seven mysteries concerning the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to notice verse 33, because in verse 33, we see the fourth of these parables, the fourth of these ministries. Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. So here, here is a woman. The Lord says this is how the kingdom of heaven is. He says it's like unto a woman that took leaven and put it in three measures of meal. And it's so little that he doesn't even tell us how much it is. Just a little bit. 
He put, this woman puts it there, and it leavened the whole lump. Now, I want you to turn over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and look at verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Now, Thyatira is the fourth church mentioned here. Ephesus is first. Smyrna is second. Pergamos is third. Thyatira is the fourth church. And notice what we read about this fourth church. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I don't believe it's any accident that the fourth parable that the Lord Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 13 involves a woman who put leaven until the whole was leavened. And then we come here to Revelation chapter 14, and it's this fourth church that corresponds to this fourth parable in Matthew chapter 13. And there, it's, it's a woman who took leaven, and as we said a minute ago, it's so little that the Lord doesn't even tell us how much it is. She took it and she hid it in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And here in this fourth church, there's this woman by the name of Jezebel. And she introduces leaven. And this leaven is introduced through teaching. Think about that. It's not her standing up and denying the word of God. She introduces this leaven here through teaching. It's teaching that seduces. That's the subtlety and the deception of the days in which we're living. That's the subtlety and the deception of leaven. And as the fourth parable of Matthew chapter 13 teaches us, the whole lump was leavened. This church here in Thyatira was corrupted by this leaven. But what we want to see here is how this leaven works, how it corrupts. Look at verse 20. The Lord Jesus says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. 
Notice that word sufferest. If you look it up, it means to allow. It means to permit. It means to not restrain. And all of those meanings can be summarized in one word. The word tolerate. The way that leaven works, the way that leaven spreads in churches and ministry is that it is permitted, it's allowed, it's not restrained. It is tolerated. Introduced very simply, and yet it's tolerated. You know how the leaven of contemporary Christian music is introduced into churches and ministries? A musician... A singing group comes in and sings one of these contemporary songs and it's tolerated. It's permitted. It goes unchallenged. You know how the leaven of these other versions is introduced into churches and ministries? A speaker or a teacher comes. Maybe somebody of, of, uh, this well-known, somebody that's held in esteem in Christian circles. And they come and they read and they preach and they teach out of another version and it is tolerated. It's permitted. It goes unchallenged. And the reason that we do that, God's people so many times are afraid to challenge these things because we don't want to offend. We don't want to offend. Challenging leaven when it is introduced will cost you. I think about my daddy. Not very many of you here knew my father. Um, But he had a great impact on my life. And he had gone back to the church where he had gotten saved. And there was a, a man who came and preached a message. And he was a fellow that was held in renown among the assemblies, the the brethren churches. But he preached out of another version. And my daddy, I could see him. I could see his face. And I could see it sort of getting redder and redder. And he challenged that man. And you know what it cost him? He was basically told, Charlie, you don't need to come back here to church. You don't need to come back. It cost Joshua and Caleb. We didn't read it, but in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 10, after they had challenged the leaven of these ten men that they were introducing into the whole congregation of Israel, Numbers chapter 14 and verse 10 says, But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. They didn't stop Caleb and Joshua from refusing to tolerate the leaven, from refusing to challenge it from the moment it was introduced. And I would say, may it ever be that way in this church. 
One day, you younger men are going to be in charge here. You may have the opportunity to invite some renowned sort of person to come and speak. You better tell him something before he comes. We only use the King James Bible. That's all we, we tolerate here. We don't tolerate anything else. You need to tell him ahead of time. If you don't, and he comes and he preaches, and nobody challenges it, leaven has just been introduced a little bit. Maybe only four ten thousandths of one percent, like it was in the nation of Israel. But it will leaven the whole lump. May being unpopular never stop the men in this church, older, younger, from doing exactly what Joshua and Caleb did. It's the only way to keep leaven out, not suffer it, not tolerate it. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the examples of your word. We thank you how for how the, the Old Testament and the New Testament tie together so beautifully. How you teach us in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, and then you, you show us in the Old Testament exactly how little a little is. And you show us the danger of the, of the last days there in the book of Revelation. Leaven being tolerated. Suffered, permitted, not challenged. Help us to see the dangers, the dangers of these last days. The subtlety of the deception. And we pray that we would cling to the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.